You're listening to The Revealer Podcast, where we explore how religion shapes our culture and our communities. Produced by the Center for Religion and Media at NYU and hosted by me, Dr. Brett Crutch. Each month, we sit down with experts to discuss the role religion plays in politics, in people's lives, and throughout our world. In today's show, we're discussing movies and American Jews. What role have movies played in shaping American Jewish identities? How has anti-Semitism influenced the portrayal of Jews on film? And what debates are currently animating the place of Jews on screen, from whether or not non-Jewish actors should play Jewish parts, to how movies with prominent Jewish protagonists can combat anti-Semitism today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Revealer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Crutch. This is the start of our third season and our first episode in 2022. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited for today's episode and to chat with Dr. Helene Myers. She is the author of the book, Movie Made Jews, An American Tradition. You can read an excerpt from her book in the upcoming February issue of The Revealer at therevealer.org. Hi, Helene. How are you? It's great to chat with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brett. Thanks so um, much for including me in this. Of course. So I thought one place for us to start is, you know, there's this longstanding stereotype about Jews controlling Hollywood. But you note something really interesting in your book that you've observed in various Twitter conversations and news articles that American Jews commonly lament the lack of explicitly Jewish representation in movies beyond the oft-mentioned Yentl, Fiddler on the Roof, and a few others. But now you have this whole book that looks at many other films beyond Yentl. So, of course, you know, we should say that Jews do not control Hollywood, but Jews have played a significant role in the film industry. So I'd love to start by asking, given the number of Jewish Americans who have been movie executives, or studio heads and script writers and prominent actors. Why has it been a challenge to make explicitly Jewish films? And now having written this book about Jews and movies, what do you make of this common assumption that few mainstream films exist where Jewish identity is central to the movie? Your two-part question gets to what I think is a central paradox of American Jewish film. It's hard to make explicitly Jewish movies, and yet there's a very rich and diverse tradition of American Jewish movies. Hmm. I think that the very way you phrase the question about the challenges associated with making explicitly Jewish movies suggests a partial answer to it, and that you talked about you know, earlier. As you indicate, Jews have historically been associated with the movies. Hmm. And that association has sometimes led to anti-Semitic canards. Jews control Hollywood. And I think a corollary of that, Hollywood controls America. Hmm. Sometimes there have been gymnastics to avoid reinforcing those ideas. Hmm. So films espouse assimilation. Jewish actors change their names, Hmm. studios, directors, and producers, whether they're Jewish or not, are leery of films that are too Jewish, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. 
In other words, I think external anti-Semitism coming from the likes of Henry Ford and Mel Gibson, I mentioned those two to indicate a historical range and a broad historical range. I think the external anti-Semitism coming from folks like that can lead to internalized anti-Semitism or Jewish self-censorship, and that's not the same thing, right. or simply not being all that interested in wrangling with Jewishness on screen. Despite the challenges, there's a very assertively American Jewish film tradition that includes fiction films as well as documentaries. Think um, Barry Levinson's Avalon and Liberty Heights, Joan Micklin Silver's Crossing Delancey, John Tutoro's Fading Gigolo, the Cohn Brothers' A Serious Man. I think people underestimate the extensiveness of this tradition for lots of reasons. A hmm. primary one being that we sometimes define Jewish movies too narrowly as only being about religious life. Hmm. But I also would say that some viewers don't see Jewish cultures and even Judaic rituals when they're right under their noses. I have a really smart colleague who does film studies. And she once told me that she never thought about the Coen brothers as Jewish. I had to exercise every bit of <laughs> self-control to not have my, you know, jaw drop. I was very polite. What I wanted to say was, did you see the prologue in A Serious Man? What about the three rabbis, the bar mitzvah, and the anti-Semitic nightmare? Yeah. I'm always reminded of Barry Levinson's snark when folks didn't recognize Avalon as a movie about Jews. He mm. said... Do they have to wear yarmulkes in all the scenes? <laughs> How many religious right. artifacts have to be in the film? And I, you know, I love that quote. Then let's talk about these movies that are part of a rich tradition of presenting Jews and Jewish identity and Judaism on screen. So I want to quote something that you write in your book's introduction. You say that, quote, while it is a truism that Jews make movies, this book brings into focus the diverse ways movies make Jews. So what do you mean by that, that movies make Jews? How does watching movies contribute to forging a Jewish identity? Okay, true confession time. <laughs> when I first started this Jewish movies book, I was only paying attention to what was on screen. And of course, I think that what appears on screen in the films I discuss is pretty great. However, as I started doing the research, I noted that directors and actors often talked about the impact that making their Jewish movies had hmm. upon their own Jewish being and practice. Hmm. And let me, let me give you just a couple of examples. Making the Protocols of Zion caused director Mark Levin to rejoin a synagogue after years of being unaffiliated. Hmm. Making 93 Queen gave Paula Iselt permission to embrace rather than compartmentalize her identity as a modern Orthodox uh, filmmaker. Hmm. The actor Doris Roberts was thrilled to be a part of Keeping Up with the Steins because she felt the film was a breath of fresh Jewish air. Hmm. 
And of course, watching Jewish movies also helps to shape viewers' sense of themselves as Jews. Hmm. Watching a screening of Milk at a JCC in California allowed queer Jews to take pride in being twice blessed and to feel represented even as they mourn the passing of an anti-gay marriage proposition. Hmm. A Jewish feminist has her big mouth affirmed by Barbara Streisand, (laughs) and I definitely include myself in that group. (laughs) The work and the joy of Lador Vidor from generation to generation has been done via a shared screening of Enemies, a Love Story. For some Jews, an annual Jewish film festival is a powerful communal ritual akin Hmm. to Passover or Rosh Hashanah. Hmm. So when I invoke Movie Made Jews, I'm not only talking about the Jews on screen, but also those behind the scenes And those munching on popcorn in theaters or on their couches. And of course, in pandemic times, more on their couches. No, I really like that, both in terms of how people can see themselves reflected on screen, but also how they can see possibilities that may not be part of their lives now, but things that they want to participate in or contribute to. Absolutely. We forget the ways in which creative work brings possibilities into the world. So I want to shift a bit. You have a chapter that addresses movies that deal with anti-Semitism, like School Ties, a movie starring Brendan Fraser and Matt Damon that was very popular when I was in middle school. And when you talk about these movies that deal with anti-Semitism, you ask a series of questions about non-Jewish viewers of these movies, like what impact does the representation of anti-Semitism have on non-Jews? Does real talk about anti-Semitism Semitism mitigate or incite Jew hatred? Do movies about anti-Semitism make Jewish allies or help to reproduce anti-Semites? So I'm curious, how might you answer these questions now that you've spent so much time thinking about films that depict anti-Semitism? My research for this book strongly suggests that um, what I would call anti-anti-Semitism films help to raise consciousness about Jew hatred and go a long way toward making Jewish allies. Hmm. Some of the most compelling evidence for that, interestingly enough, comes from non-Jewish actors who have had roles in those films. This is especially true in School Ties, the film that you just mentioned. Matt Damon and Brendan Fraser found that making School Ties, which is about a Jewish football player passing at an elite prep school, caused them to reflect on their own educational experiences and the challenges their Jewish classmates likely faced. Hmm. In fact, there's a scene in the film where Damon um, hurls an anti-Semitic epithet at the Jewish protagonist. Mm -hmm. That epithet actually was ad-libbed by Damon, and he was horrified that he was capable of coming up with such unscripted hatred. And so he became sort of really aware of the ways in which anti-Semitism was part of the cultural air that that he breathes and that we all breathe. Mm -hmm. Ryan Gosling, who in The Believer plays a Jewish neo-Nazi based on a true story. I I kid you not about this one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He tells an amazing story about entering a Hasidic camera store with his shaved head and a hate tattoo on his arm. 
initially, he didn't understand why everyone in the store was so <laughs> nervous. And then it hit him that he was profoundly ignorant and that anti-Semitism was not a thing of the past, but mm. rather a clear and present danger for many. Mm -hmm. I should also mention that when Mark Levin's documentary, Protocols of Zion, about anti-Semitism after 9-11, was screened for inner city public school students, yeah. their teacher reported that although these students were in hardcore anti-Semites, they had absorbed some of the anti-Semitism that, again, is part of the cultural air we all breathe. Mm -hmm. According to her, the film blew their minds hmm. and initiated one of the most profound discussions she had experienced during her entire teaching career. Hmm. And I should tell you personally, I've taught this film at a liberal arts college that isn't particularly knowledgeable about or um, friendly to Jews. Hmm. My students also were blown away and as a result became sensitized to anti-Semitism in a way that some of their professors weren't. Hmm. Movies not only make Jews, but also make Jewish allies. And I would say that's especially true of anti-anti-Semitism films. That's great. I really appreciate that. I'd like to shift and talk a bit about a Jewish movie star who has been a big figure in my life, and that's Barbara Streisand. <laughs> so my mom introduced me to her music and movies when I was a kid. My best friend, who is also Jewish, is obsessed with Barbara. For many people, she is one of the more recognizable Jewish movie stars or performers. And as you note in the book, Barbara both has a fan base who obsessively adores her, and there are other people who vocally detest her. So I'm curious, why do you think Barbara Streisand occupies such a space of excessive adoration and abhorrence in American culture? And why has that gone on for so many decades? I'm probably going to get myself into a whole lot of trouble here. But I think most, though certainly not all, Babs haters reside at the intersection of misogyny and anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Our culture, and I speak as a Jewish feminist critic, our culture really doesn't like uppity women who take up space mm -hmm. and who refuse to apologize for performing as if they are larger than life. Mm. And a Jewish woman who has a big mouth keeps her nose, and is determined to assert creative control, mm -hmm. is read as an enemy of a lot of people. Hmm. But then there are a lot of folks, many, but certainly not all of them Jewish women, who want to reclaim and revision the beauty of a set of loud liberal pipes and the Jewish woman who is very willing to use those loud Jewish pipes. Yes. Babs, it seems to me, is an unapologetic diva, and I think that's exactly why she attracts such intense emotion, both positive and negative. I would want to ask just a little bit more about Barbara because I'm not ready to give up her in the conversation yet. <laughs> 
So good, the, <laughs> good. I approve. <laughs> the main Barbara Streisand film that you explore in the book is The Way We Were, and she plays a Jewish character in several films, including The Way We Were. And you describe The Way We Were as quote an early exemplar of post-assimilationist cinema. So I'm curious, out of all of Barbara's work, why did you pick The Way We Were as the Barbara Streisand film to analyze in your book? And what do you mean by describing it as an early exemplar of post-assimilationist cinema? I discuss The Way We Were in um, the chapter titled Assimilation and Its Discontents. Mm -hmm. And I think that that chapter title really gets to the meaning of post-assimilationist cinema. It suggests that there's something beyond assimilation, even though assimilation has already occurred, Mm. and that a group of films, including The Way We Were, points toward those possibilities. Hmm. In The Way We Were, Katie's hair tells a story of Hmm. assimilation and resistance to it. Mm -hmm. She starts out with a really wild mane, Hmm. tames it while she's with Hubble, um, a goyish guy played by Robert Redford. And I just want to say that I'm quoting the film when I use the term (laughs) goyish guy. Yes. And then returns to her natural state as a frizzy-haired activist in the final scene of the film. As much as I love, and again, true confessions, identify with Katie, you should see the head of hair I've grown <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, this film is really extraordinary because it turns the Jewish woman's gaze on wasp culture and finds it wanting. Hmm. Hubble is passing as much or more than Katie is. He's selling his creative soul to make a buck in Hollywood and then to do TV in New York. He's clearly very attracted to the creative, ethical, and political standards Katie represents. Mm -hmm. Yet they and she are ultimately too much for him. Mm -hmm. And so that critique of dominant wasp masculinity I think makes this a really smart and radical film. I should also mention that The Way We Were has quite a pop culture afterlife, most notably in Sex and the City, but also in Gilmore Girls. So ultimately, the real question for me was, how could I not choose The Way (laughs) Uh We Were? So then I'd like to talk about another female Jewish icon, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, of course, wasn't a movie star, but she was the focus of the 2018 documentary RBG. Something that I found really interesting is that you quote multiple reviews of the documentary written by Jews, where they describe it as one that highlights Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Jewish identity and the role being Jewish played in her life. But as you note, the documentary doesn't actually contain many explicit references to RBG's Jewish identity, and perhaps more importantly to how Judaism or her Jewish identity shaped her values, her legal thinking, and her feminism. So I'm curious, how do you explain that disconnect? Why are some Jewish viewers seeing something that maybe isn't explicitly in the movie? Is this an instance where the filmmakers present RBG in a way that anyone can idolize and admire her and then Jewish viewers maybe see coded things that others might not? And just overall, what do you make of this phenomenon? And does that tell you anything about Jews on screen today? 
I'm so glad we went from Babs to RBJ. <laughs> um, another, another diva. And another diva who is so committed to repairing the world and to justice. So let me start off by saying that I think RBG is a terrific documentary. Hmm. And um, in general, I admire Julie Cohn and Betsy West's work a great deal. But I do have to admit that I was a little sad there wasn't a bit more explicit Jewish content in the movie. Hmm. I certainly wouldn't want to make Judge Ginsburg um, uh, of blessed memory into all Jew all the time. Yeah. But the fact remains that her pursuit of justice, as well as her marriage to Marty, were impacted pretty profoundly by Jewish values. Hmm. To me, the film is a limit case for a Jewish movie. Given that some viewers have the context to experience this documentary as a Jewish movie, it makes sense to regard it as such. I'm not sure whether we're in the territory of RBG's Jewishness not really needing to speak its name or not really daring to speak its name. Hmm. Put another way, would the film have been as popular if RBG's Jewishness were more prominent? Hmm. I have no idea, but the fact that I'm wondering about that suggests yeah. that the two Jewish question is still a live one in film and in life. Well, then let's stay with talking about the present day and issues in terms of representations of Jews on screen. So we're in a moment now where one of the prominent debates in Hollywood is about if actors must share the identity of the people they portray. And this has been most prominent with regard to transgender Americans arguing that trans characters should be played by trans actors. But that idea has extended to other groups. Uh, a few months ago, there was some prominent media chatter about the possibility of actress Katherine Hahn playing Joan Rivers in a television series biopic. And there were some who felt that Katherine Hahn shouldn't play Joan Rivers because Hahn is not Jewish. So I'm curious, what do you make of this debate, especially as it relates to Jews on screen? And what does it reveal to you about our culture right now? As you might imagine, I have been paying a lot of attention to this debate. Hmm. Um, a number of journalists have actually reached out to me to comment on it. Perhaps surprisingly, I'm ambivalent about this conversation focused yeah. on non-Jews playing Jews on screen. As my book makes clear, there's a long tradition of scripts, names, and noses being too Jewish for the film and television industry. Hmm. Jewish protagonists played by non-Jews have the potential to continue that really pernicious tradition, and I'm mm -hmm. very aware of that. It's also worth remembering that Jewish concern about who plays whom is part of the resistance to the new normal of anti-Semitism and Jews not counting. Hmm. On the other hand, if roles and storylines are informed by deep Jewish knowledge and Jews are uh, involved in the creative process, yeah. I'm ultimately not all that concerned about the identity of the actors. And to be perfectly honest, I'm more concerned if Jews are playing dumb or stereotypical roles mm -hmm. in Jewishly illiterate movies. Yes, It yes. strikes me that that isn't good for Jews Right. Gentiles, or the quality of what we all watch. 
I'd like to end our conversation by quoting something that you wrote that uh, you write rather movingly. Quote, I am finishing the writing of this book in 2020 and in an era marked by white supremacists chanting Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville. Congregants being gunned down for praying while Jewish in Pittsburgh and in Poway, California. Visibly Jewish walkers being attacked on the streets of Brooklyn and swastikas appearing all over the country. Both the research for movie made Jews and the teaching of American Jewish films in classrooms and in the community give me faith that film can be an anecdote to hate and a creative arsenal that makes Jews and our allies through a myriad of images. So what about American Jewish films gives you this sense of faith and hope in these troubling times of rising anti-Semitism? I love that question. Um, and I love that we're going to end on a more hopeful note. Yeah. But I do feel, especially living in Texas, mm-hmm. I feel the need to add to the context of this podcast recording, right. to add the Congregation Beth Israel in Austin, my own congregation, mm. and um, of course, after this um, weekend, Colleyville. In terms of what gives me hope and faith in American Jewish cinema, the tradition I trace in the book is a diverse and pluralistic one. Folks who consider themselves Jews reside alongside those who are traditionally or sometimes quite untraditionally observant. Hmm. The representation of such internal diversity gives the lie to anti-Semitic thinking that the Jews are all the same. Yes. I also think that alliance politics are the key to defeating white supremacy. Mm. And of course, anti-Semitism is foundational to white supremacy, as we saw so clearly in Charlottesville. I see those alliances depicted on screen, off camera, and among audiences at film festivals. In Crime After Crime, we have a white Orthodox lawyer um, uh, who battles a corrupt Los Angeles DA's office to free a wrongfully imprisoned black Christian battered woman. Hmm. In Heart of Stone, we've got white Jewish alums of a New Jersey high school work to support a visionary black principal who recognizes the vulnerability and the potential of young black men who join gangs to protect themselves. In Arranged, We have two school teachers, one Muslim, one Orthodox Jewish. They join forces to defend their faith against a principal whose feminist rhetoric serves religious intolerance. Hmm. In David, we have non-professional child actors, again, one Muslim, one Orthodox Jewish, who are initially suspicious of one another and then become friends on the movie set. Even industry professionals find their worldview reconfigured by American Jewish movies. After seeing 93 Queen, which is a movie about the founding of a Hasidic women's EMT Corps, the executive director of the International Documentary Association reports, and I'm quoting him here, having lived in Brooklyn for many years, and despite considering myself an open and tolerant type, I would too often find myself stereotyping the Hasidic community. Hmm. 
Hmm. Watching films like 93 Queen helped me to recognize this. Hmm. Such sentiments belie the idea that it's only a movie Hmm. and suggest that my faith in American Jewish cinema is well-founded. That's great. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And and thank you overall for this conversation. That is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Helene Myers. You can find an excerpt from her book, Movie Made Jews, in The Revealer's upcoming February issue at therevealer.org. And you can purchase Movie Made Jews online now. I'm Brett Crutch. I hope you'll join us for our next episode next month. We'll be discussing Black Christians and the place of hip-hop. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Revealer Podcast with music by Kevin McLeod and production editing by Cameron Anderson. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at therevealerpodcast at gmail.com and check us out at therevealer.org.